Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. The opportunity to switch a career path might happen when you least expect it. If you are on the cusp of making a transition, we think you might be inspired to take the leap after hearing this personal story about a Columbia engineering alumnus who shifted from being a Wall Street finance professional to an emerging entrepreneur in the automotive industry. In today's episode, Bill Haney will share what it was like to make a change out of necessity and shed light on the reality of being a self-starter. This episode is the first part in a short series on career transitions. You can find the next two episodes on iTunes or by heading over to the blog that accompanies this podcast at thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu. But for right now, let's hear Bill's story. I have about 30 years to get through in 10 minutes, so I'm going to just get on it. Uh, graduated Columbia in 1981. I was an engineer. And uh, we know as Colombians, we graduate on a Wednesday afternoon. On the following Monday morning, I was at work. I had gotten a job on Wall Street with Morgan Stanley, and I spent the next 20 Monday mornings, uh, well, the next 20 years worth of Monday mornings at Morgan Stanley in a variety of roles. I'm going to have to do a lot of long story short here, but long story short, um, I ultimately worked my way to the trading floor, and I spent the bulk of my career at Morgan Stanley uh, developing and managing quantitatively sophisticated products, primarily in fixed income financing markets. And, you know, getting into the late 90s, uh, my product was a product that was kind of being disintermediated on Wall Street. And come the bursting of the dot-com bubble um, in 2001, uh, Morgan Stanley told me that they no longer needed me. And let me tell you, I was devastated. During Morgan Stanley's glory years, I drank the Morgan Stanley Kool-Aid like nobody. I never wanted to work for any other firm my entire career. I would have to. So anyway, I was a pretty young guy then. I was in my early 40s, and I got right on it. Uh, focused job search. Within a few months, I was working at CIBC um, in a role where I was starting an equity finance business for them, which basically meant I was developing and managing Specialized finance products. Same product they did at Morgan Stanley. Different market, different company, same expertise. A very, very traditional transition. Again, long story short, seven years at, Morgan, at CIBC. And right before Christmas in 2008, another long story short, um, I was asked to leave the keys under the door on my way out. After spending most of the year shutting most of the things that I had built in the previous seven years, and this time, though, I wasn't devastated. I wasn't angry. I was expecting it. And it almost came as a relief. And so finally now, after 27 years on Wall Street, I had the first following Monday morning where I really had absolutely no place to go. And frankly, I wasn't, real, I wasn't in a hurry to do anything about it. Um, despite the cratered markets, I had some assets in the bank. My wife and I were not over-levered on the house, so we were very lucky. Two, I had never really had any time off. And three, frankly, the environment on Wall Street for looking for a job was abysmal. So why waste your time? So my plan was 
not to have a plan, even if I took the whole year off. Well, anyway, that year went pretty darn quick. <laughs> Besides a lot of biking, backpacking, summer at the beach, turning 50, I thought a lot about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I came to some key decisions. And the first decision was that I did not want to go back to the sell side of Wall Street. What I decided I would do would to, would to, was to make a, what was still a pretty common transition for someone with my experience and move to the buy side of the business and find a role uh, on the asset management side. So I kind of got my resume together and did a lot of work. I was able to manage uh, to get some office space in the city through a buddy of mine. I bought my first train pass in a year and I started some really pretty serious networking. Well, I'll have to do another long story short. After two years of literally every day, we're talking hundreds of meetings, thousands of phone calls, thousands of emails, nothing. I was no closer to an opportunity than when I started. And unfortunately, I had no plan B. But I knew I needed a plan B. Otherwise, my kids would be applying for financial aid. So, as a lot of people in this room have probably experienced when you're searching for a job, false leads, dead ends. The whole process seems incredibly unproductive, at least until you land something. And then when you do, all is good. But after two years of this, you have no idea how unimaginably unproductive I felt. Like I had literally wasted two years of my life. So, in the, sort of in the interim, my house was experiencing some pretty serious deferred maintenance issues. Parts of it were falling down in front of my eyes. And so I took the view, I'm going to feel productive. I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> so, so I engaged in about a nine-month period of ceiling-to-floor do-it-yourself projects. And I actually felt really productive. And they actually came out pretty good. Keep in mind, that's me saying so. Uh, but, uh, but kind of while I was doing this work and getting dirty every day, I did think a lot about plan B. Unfortunately, I never ever came up with a plan B that excited me enough to want to stop doing the restoration projects. So about halfway through this, through this time period, it's now the middle of the summer, I get a call from a buddy of mine, a guy that I knew from uh, biking, sort of a road biking buddy of mine. And he says, Bill, I just quit my job on Wall Street. He was in the wealth management business. And I'm starting my own company. Let's get together. I want to tell you about it. So I was curious. And a few afternoons later, I, um, I drove over to his office to meet him. So uh, you got a picture of this, this guy's office. It's mildew-laden. There's no windows. It's in the basement of the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York. And so Peter starts saying, Bill, I am starting a business. I am starting a specialty finance operating company. It's going to be a billion dollars within five years. And I am going to underwrite, originate, service, and manage loans 
to people with troubled credit histories so they could buy really old used cars. Bill, what do you think? So my visceral response was, all right, let me get this straight, Peter. You're telling me you just quit your job on the street, kind of like a job I've been trying to get for two years with no success, so you can sit in the submarine down here and rip off poor people. Well, anyway, we had a longer conversation. <laughs> and uh, what I did learn is that Peter had actually been on this for a while. He'd actually already brought on an experienced operator down in the Tampa, Florida area who was going to build a back office for this company down in Tampa. And this guy was actually throwing some money at the venture as well. I also he also told me that he had identified an experienced auto finance guy in the New York area who would manage auto dealerships for him. So there was a, you know, there was a little more than just this idea. So Peter finally asked me, said, Bill, you know, I know you're out there talking to a lot of people. Why don't you think about your network? Is there anybody in your network that would be interested maybe in investing in a venture like this? So I said, Peter, okay, I'll think about it. I'll come back to you. So I went back home and worked on my projects. And uh, at this point, I was getting a lot of spousal pressure to maybe do my projects a little faster than I was doing them. Um, and in between waiting for paint and spackle and cement to dry, I, was, I did a lot of reading on subprime auto finance. And what I discovered was that the reality was if you're someone with a damaged credit history, an auto loan is probably the best, fastest way to fix your credit score. And there was actually a bunch of companies out there that actually had very good reputations in the market for enabling this. The other thing I learned is that since the financial crisis, subprime auto loans, about the absolute best performing asset class in the capital markets. So I was kind of intrigued. So at the end of the summer after Labor Day, I gave Peter a call back. I said, hey, Peter, you know, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit. I'm potentially interested maybe in working my network a little bit. Maybe find you some investors. Um, you know, I knew I had to start networking again anyway. Give me something to talk about at least. Nobody wanted to talk about giving me a job. So well, we got together and I had an opportunity to actually look at his business plan in detail. <laughs> and what I discovered was great business plan. The financial model, about as unsophisticated and naive as you can imagine. And boom, light bulb. Hey, Bill, these guys are not mathematicians. You can help them. And a conversation ensued. And by the end of September, we were discussing a personal investment of mine and full-time role for me with the company. I knew that I could make their financial model better than their business plan. So anyway, now I had a decision to make. On the plus side, ground floor opportunity, fragmented market, huge potential upside, and there was actually an already identified areas for where my skill set would apply. Now, what could go wrong? So I had to think about the downsides. One, 27 years on Wall Street. My credit experience was zippo nada period nothing, let alone subprime auto. All I knew about cars was how to turn one on and drive it. Two, thinking about sort of the investment. I knew that if I invested not enough money, the venture may not even get off the ground. It may not be enough to get to the next level. And I also knew if I didn't invest enough money, I might not have enough influence, and I might not be able to maximize my participation in the venture. On the other side, if I invested too much, personal risk part becomes really scary. And by scary, what I mean is, the thing fails, sell your house. 
move to a low-cost part of Florida and live off your bingo winnings and wish your kids luck on finding a scholarship. <laughs> three, I mean, this was a startup. I hadn't seen a paycheck now in three years. I get involved in this thing, there's no paycheck for the foreseeable future. Just so you know, I'm working for healthcare now. <laughs> and then finally, this whole thing, this whole idea, it's a great idea, but little more than that right now. What the heck do you pay for it? What's it worth? So anyway, my, my wife Mary and I, we, we discussed it. And her view was that if it led to the cleaning up of the mess, which is what she referred to my projects as now, that she was all for it. Uh, and not to make light of the downside, because the reality is the downside I just described, I lose sleep over every night. It's real and it's enormous. Okay? So anyway, I became an entrepreneur. And the only thing I want to say, well, the only thing I have time to say about being an entrepreneur is how incredibly I underestimated, I mean, grossly underestimated the roller coaster nature of starting a business. The high of the highs, the low of the lows. The other thing I'll say is I totally, I, I totally did not underestimate the amount of work required. But the other good thing is I did not overestimate the transferability of my skills. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll kind of leave the entrepreneur stories at that. Entrepreneur stories are better over cocktails anyway. Let me finish up by just talking about well, let me finish by answering the following question. How's it all working out? So I've been at it now for a little over a year. And in that year, we've made tremendous progress. The team is now nine people. One of those, one of those people is a former head of a major auto finance company. One member of the team is the former head of a publicly traded manufactured housing REIT. And one of those guys is the former CEO of what was at the time the largest independent auto leasing company in the country. We've built a technology platform. Well, kind of stitched one together, built part of it, and we're using commercially available stuff on the rest. Um, that's front to back. We can originate service and manage our loans. We enhance that platform every day. And most importantly, we're actually making loans. We have, we've made loans in the states of Florida and the state of New York, and we're licensed to make loans in several more states at this point in time. Now, all that being said, the end of the story hasn't been written yet. In fact, the end of the beginning of the story hasn't been written yet. But what we do have is we have a real fighting shot. Thank you. This podcast was produced by the Columbia Alumni Association. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities. And with over 320,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights to delight the left and right sides of the brain. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu.